We're in a series called Be the Message, and we have uh, this week and next week is our celebration Sunday for this, uh, for this series. And today the title of the message is Activating Your Mission. Activating Your Mission. In other words, we've been working through this process of discovery. We believe, and really the point of all this is that God, is his intention for us is that we would live out the gospel as we go about our daily lives. That the truth is that Jesus came to the earth, he walked this earth, um, he bled and died for the sins of the world, he rose again on the third day, went back to heaven, proving that he had victory over sin and death, and that he, he now has promised that if we put our faith and trust in him, that the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in our lives. And with the Holy Spirit dwelling in our lives, with the truth of the gospel, the truth of the word of God, we can go out and live our lives, and as we do, as we live our lives for Jesus, we become the message to the world around us. In other words, the gospel is seen through us. Not everyone's going to come to church and hear a message and hear the gospel, but there's a lot of people that we are around every day or every week or every month who get to see our lives. And God's plan A, and by the way, he doesn't have a plan B. His plan A is to use you and me to accomplish that mission. And so it's so important that we discover how to activate that mission. We've been looking at different pieces of it, but today we kind of bring it together and, and we want to um, and sort of uh, put a cap on it in the sense of where's all this going and where do we need to be heading? Next week, I want to encourage you not to miss it because it's going to be Celebration Sunday. We've got some cool stories and sort of testimonies that, that you're going to want to hear. They're going to encourage you and, and uh, bless your heart and also just remind you of the work that God's doing in this church and through this church and in our community. Sometimes it's easy to get off track on that and lose sight of, yes, God is at work and he is moving in people's lives. I want to encourage you that if you have not been baptized, but you have put your faith and trust in Jesus, if you'd like to talk to me about that, consider getting baptized. We'd love to do some baptisms next week if there's anybody that's in that place ready to do that. So if you want to email me at pastorjohn at mitchellberean.com, I'll respond to that and we can talk. But we'd love to, um, to have some baptisms next week. We have our chili cook-off next Sunday evening. We're going to celebrate um, the whole weekend all that God's been doing through this series really in our lives, what he's been teaching us and the path he's been setting us on. But today we want to look at a character or a, um, a hero from the Bible. His name's Moses. And we want to see how Moses got his focus off. And God had to come and find him and get a hold of him and call him back to the mission that he intended for him to do. If you want to turn in your Bible to Exodus chapter 3 or on your phone, on your app, um, go ahead and turn there. You know, the thing that I love about the Bible, one of the things, is that when we find out, we read the stories of the heroes of the Bible, we don't get a story that's spun in a positive direction. We don't just hear of their victories and their wins and how they did everything right, but we actually get to see the good, the bad, and the ugly. All of it. We get to see the messiness of their lives, uh, the difficulties they went through, how they were real people. And they struggled just like we do to get where God wanted them to go. And that encourages me. I don't know about you, but if it was just stories of people that were successful all the time and never had any struggles, man, I would have a hard time relating to that because that's not what my life's been like. But I can relate to the characters in the Bible. And it's, a, it's a encouraging to me 
to read their stories and to see how God worked in their lives in spite of their struggles. And today when we look at Moses, you know, as I study his life and I have over the years and again this week in preparation for today, I'm reminded that I have a lot in common with Moses. Like I said, when I read the stories of, of the viral heroes, man, a lot of times I just go, man, I struggle with that too. I see where I've been there. And Moses had his struggles. He had his difficult moments. He had a difficult time in a lot of ways following God's call on his life. He just wasn't sure. Uh, and he really struggled to have the confidence to believe that God really had called him that he could accomplish the mission. See, Moses was born into an interesting time in the history of the people of Israel. Um, if you'll remember a little bit of Bible history, and if you don't, I'll bring you up to speed. But basically, God chose Abraham to be the father of the Hebrew nation, of the Israelite people. And Abraham had a son, Isaac, who continued that heritage and calling. And then Isaac had a son named Jacob, who continued that calling and, and heritage. Those were three patriarchs or leaders of the nation of Israel. And... Uh, Jacob had some, he had sons, uh, one of which was Joseph. And Joseph was sold into slavery in Egypt, but because he was sold there, he became, God blessed him and used him, and he was elevated to a high position, second only to Pharaoh. And he was, he was elevated to that position because there was a famine coming that would affect that whole region, a part of the world, and, uh, and God wanted to use Joseph to help save people's lives. And so Joseph became a leader there because he was able to interpret dreams that revealed that there was a famine coming. And so Joseph helped prepare for that time. And because Joseph was in Egypt, when his family, his brothers, came looking for food, he was able to reconnect with them. And it resulted in the whole family, really the whole nation of Israel at that time, which was pretty small, moving to Egypt. And they flourished in Egypt. Things went well. They had prosperity. The, the nation of Israel grew. Uh, multiplied. And they came to a time, though, the Bible tells us that the Pharaoh that knew Joseph died. And of course, of course, Joseph died. And so that era of history for the nation of Israel passed. And it says that a Pharaoh came to power who did not know about Joseph, did not remember that, but looked at the people of Israel and saw them multiplying and expanding. And he said, listen, this, these Hebrew people, they outnumber us as Egyptians. And this is dangerous. If there was a, if there was war with another country, they might choose to fight with them and overcome us. And so out of fear and insecurity, he said, I'm going to enslave the people of, of Israel. I'm going to enslave these Hebrews and keep them under my thumb. And so that's what he did. He forced them into, uh, or put them into forced labor where he had them building cities, maybe some pyramids. I don't know, but they were, they were involved in working for the Pharaoh and they were forced to do so. And so it was a time of oppression. That they lived under and they cried out to God. They cried for help and nothing happened. And of course they were living in a foreign land under a foreign people and their, their um, practices and their, their ways of living so slowly sort of drifted away from God. They didn't remember what it was like to be free and to live on their own and to follow God and to live for him alone. Well, this is the time that Moses was born. This Pharaoh was so fearful of the people that he actually gave a decree or order that the the baby boys that were born to the Hebrew women, that they should be killed, thrown into the Nile River because he was so fearful of them overpopulating and overtaking his country. And so that, that's what he did. And so Moses was born into this time where baby boys were being exterminated. Population control practiced by the Pharaoh. 
when he was born, the Bible tells us that his parents saw that he was a special child. And I kind of think to myself, doesn't every set of parents that have a baby think they have a special child? I mean, you might, no, you think you have a special child. That's the way it is. Well, but, but there's something different going on here. His parents saw that, that he, was, um, he was special in God's eyes. There was something special about him that perhaps he had a destiny or something to accomplish for God. That God would use him in a powerful way in the future. And so they protected him. For three months, his mother hid him and tried to keep him from being found by Pharaoh's uh, soldiers and people that were, were killing the baby boys. And so she protected him for three months, and then she realized, I can't keep doing this. It's not going to work. I can't protect him. And she did something kind of remarkable that I think reflects that she took his protection out of her hands and put Moses' protection into God's hands. Because she created a basket out of reeds, and she, uh, she waterproofed it with tar, and she put Moses in it, and she floated it out onto the Nile River. Now, the Nile River was a dangerous place, as you can imagine. There are predators there. It, it's a river, for crying out loud. And so she had a lot of faith and trust. God, I'm going to give this little baby to you. You've got to watch over him. And sure enough, God did. Because if you know the story, you know that um, one of the princesses of, of Egypt, Pharaoh's daughter, saw this basket and had it brought over to her. She opened it up, and inside was this baby, Hebrew baby boy. And she had compassion on this child. And she said, I want to bring him into my home and I want to raise him. Well, Miriam, Moses' older sister, was watching through the reeds. And she ran over to the princess and she said, listen, this is a baby. Do you want me to see if there's a Hebrew mother who would nurse the baby and care for him? What a remarkable thing. And so by the grace of God and the sovereign will of God, Moses' mother got to raise him in his own family. Isn't that remarkable? God is rescuing Moses. He has a plan for him, has a destiny for him. And each step of the way, you can see these miracles happening. And so Moses is raised by his parents. He gets a chance to learn about his culture and heritage and who he is. And so by the time he goes to live in the palace, he knows that he's a Hebrew and he knows what that means, that he's a part of God's people and that there is a plan and a destiny for God's people. And so um, as he's raised in Pharaoh's palace, he has the best of education, the best uh, environment. He's privileged. And while the rest of his people are enslaved and living under oppression, he gets to live a privileged life in the palace. And so he flourishes under that. He grows and develops. And uh, at one point, as he becomes a young man, he goes out to check on his people because he didn't forget that who he was. He didn't forget who his people were. And so he went out to check on his uh, fellow Israelites, the other Hebrews who were working under forced labor. And when he did, he saw an Egyptian taskmaster beating one of his brothers, one of his uh, fellow Israelites. And so he looked around, made sure the coast was clear. He drug off the taskmaster, killed him, and buried him in the sand. He thought, I'm going to do something. I'm in a privileged position. I need to do something. I need to act to protect my people. Surely I've been placed in this position to do something big. Well, the next day he went out again and he saw two of his brothers, his fellow Israelites, fighting. And he said, guys, why are you fighting your brothers? And they said, wow, who made you a uh, ruler over us? Are you going to kill us like you did the Egyptian taskmaster? And as soon as he heard that, he knew that word was going to get out. And sure enough, Pharaoh found out about it and put an order out to have him killed. But Moses ran and he ran to Midian. And in Midian, he found a family, um, and they invited him in to stay with them. He was a young man, 
of marrying age. They had daughters. And so he went to live with his family, married one of the daughters, and became a shepherd. Here is Moses, a man born special with a destiny designed to do something, groomed to do something for God. And he found himself in the desert in a safe, secure place working with sheep. Not that there's anything wrong with working with sheep. I'm just saying, that's where he was. And it's while he's in this place that he begins to um, just live in his life, uh, enjoying the safety and security that he has. He's settling for it. He believes this is a good place for him to be. He has no plans to move on. No plans to bring about any change that we know of. But one day he's out watching some sheep and he sees something. And if you know this, you know the story uh, in Exodus 3, he sees a bush that's burning, but it's not consumed. So he walks over. This bush gets his attention. And when he walks over, this is what it says in Exodus 3 verse 4. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for protecting it and preserving it for us so that we can read the stories of how you interacted and worked in and through the lives of people in times gone by. And Father, I pray that you would speak to us today that you would bring a fresh sense of your calling on our lives. That each one of us in this room today would hear in a powerful way, would hear from you just like Moses did when he encountered you in a burning bush. God, I know you want to speak to us. I know you want to call us out. You want to call us out of the place that we are to a place you want to take us, to use us in a new way. And Father, I pray that you would speak into our lives today, and I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, it would get your attention, a burning bush that's not consumed. It certainly got Moses' attention. He was curious enough to walk over and say, I've never seen that before. And I think it's interesting, as I've gone through my life and as I've worked with others, I do believe that God, this is how God operates. He connects with us. He speaks to us in ways that we will listen to and understand. He meets us where we are. Here's Moses out in the desert working with sheep when God has a calling and a destiny for him to be living out. And, uh, and God gets his attention. And when God gets his attention, he, uh, he lets Moses know who it is that he's talking to. That he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That he's the God of his father's. And he's the God of Moses. And that he has a calling and a plan for him. Um, If we're going to realize the destiny and the calling and activate the mission that God has for us, we need to go through a process. And Moses had to do that. He was in a place of discouragement and failure. He was kind of sitting back and choosing the safe and secure path. He wasn't in the middle of things, and he wasn't looking to be in the middle of anything. He was happy and content where he was. But God came and got a hold of him and said, Moses, I've got a mission for you. And he worked through a process that I want to look at today in Exodus chapter 3 and 4 of moving back into a place of obedience. And it was difficult. It wasn't easy. Moses had some resistance. It was a little bit of a fight. But fortunately, God is more determined than we are. 
And you might be sitting here today and going, you know what, Pastor, um, you're, you know, quit, quit trying to mess with me. <laughs> quit trying to push me. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm just not interested in that. But I want to tell you something. It's really not me. I know that cares about what you're doing and where you're going. I don't really know. I don't know all of you. I don't know what's going on in your life. But God does. And he cares. He's interested. And he has something for you. Something more for you. And that's what I want to encourage you with today. The first thing that we need to do in all this, if we're going to um, engage our mission, if we're going to get moving and get headed in the direction God wants us to go, And be on track with his calling on our lives is that first we need to embrace God's calling. We need to embrace it. I've talked to people over the years that have felt like, you know, I felt like God was calling me into this or that at one point in my life. And I didn't take the step. And now I just wonder if I should have and what would have happened. And maybe I missed an opportunity. And I want to encourage you with this. The scriptures teach us that all of us. If if you're a follower of Jesus and you put your faith and trust in him, that he chose you before the foundations of the world and that he has work for you to do. He has meaningful, purposeful things for you to accomplish that he had designed for you to do before you were ever born. It's an amazing truth that we we need to grab hold of, that God is calling us and has called us and we need to embrace it. With Moses' story, when he encounters God at the burning bush in Exodus chapter three, verse eight, this is what God says to him regarding the mission he wants to call Moses out on. He says this, so I've come to rescue them. Of course, he's talking about the nation of Israel. They've been enslaved to the Egyptians. And, um, and so he's saying, I've come to rescue them. It's time for me to do something, to bring these people out of slavery in Egypt and into the land that I promised them. He goes on to say this, So I've come to rescue them and lead them out of Egypt into their own good and spacious land. Now go, for I'm sending you to Pharaoh. You will lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Boom. God says, Moses, I got a plan. I made a promise to your ancestors. I made a covenant with Abraham when I chose him and called him out to follow me. I made a covenant with him that I give you a land. That I would give the people that he, he would, um, he would uh, be the father of a nation that I would give him a land. And right now they're in Egypt. And they're not in the land that I promised them. And I know it's been hundreds of years, but I haven't forgotten. I made a promise I'm going to keep it. I have a destiny for these people and I'm going to make sure that it's fulfilled. Moses was chosen for this mission. He was special. He was designated. He was gifted. He was privileged. He was trained. God set him on a path his entire life to be prepared for this mission. But you'll notice something. Though this mission was about Moses and God was calling Moses out to accomplish something, it really wasn't about Moses. It was about the nation of Israel. It was about the promise that God had made to his people. It wasn't just Moses. So though Moses played a key role, it wasn't just all about him. And I want to remind you, God is calling you out to serve him, to accomplish a mission for him. And it's not all about you. You're the instrument God's going to use to make an impact in somebody else's life. And that's what matters. It's important to remember that. You know, um, the nation of Israel was living in Egypt and their influence in the world was small. They were not a free people. They didn't have their own uh, voice. They didn't have their own land, their own identity. 
And God said, listen, the reason I chose the nation of Israel, the reason I chose Abraham was I wanted to make a presence that represented me in the world. I wanted to use the nation of Israel to be a lighthouse to the world. So that as the nations around them and the rest of the world looked at them, they would see me. The same thing is true today. God wants to use this church. He wants to use the churches in this region, in this nation, in the world to be beacons of light so that others can find and see who God is. You know, um, God wanted to grow the nation of Israel's influence. I think one of the most important things for us as individual followers of Jesus is that we have been given a task. We've been given an opportunity, something that we need to steward. And I think one of the most important things we've been given is the ability to influence others. See, I'm called to be an influencer, or I'm called to influence. What is influence? It's, it's um, having an impact in another person's life that causes them to move in a direction or to think about things that they hadn't thought about before or to consider uh, new ideas. You see, you and I cannot make someone put their trust in Jesus. We can't make someone pray to receive Christ and realize that Jesus came to the earth as God in the flesh. He died on the cross for the sins of the world. And he rose again on the third day, ascended to heaven and sits there at the right hand of the Father, um, full of grace. Like, we can't convince somebody of that. It's not our job to make somebody do that, uh, believe that and take advantage of it. But what we can do is we can influence people in the world we live in. In this series, we've been looking at the arenas where we live, work, and play as arenas that God's already put us in to make a difference, to have an influence. God wanted to take the nation of Israel and he did want to bless them with land and with things. And he said, I'm going to prosper you. But his goal was not just to make them affluent, but it was to grow their influence. We're not called necessarily, we're not promised that we'll have affluence, that we'll be wealthy and that we'll have stuff. If you have things, if you are affluent, and God has blessed you with that, with those resources, you've really been blessed. We know we've been blessed to be a blessing to the world around us. And so we're called to use those resources to influence people in a different way. That's the calling that God's placed in our lives. But we're stewards of influence. Are you stewarding the influence that you have? And I've heard people over the years tell me, Pastor, I don't have any influence over anybody. There's nobody watching me. I used to have students when I was a youth pastor say, uh, Pastor, I'm, you know, my quiet kids didn't say much and kind of tried to fly under the radar. And there are some adults that do the same thing, right? And they would go, no, nobody's watching me. I don't have influence over anybody. And I, I came up with a response. And that is this, never underestimate your influence. I will promise you that there is someone watching you. There's someone watching what you're doing, how you're living your life, the decisions you're making. I know when I was a young boy, I used to look at the men in my church and that were around, and I would watch them, and I would emulate things that they did. And I would say, I want to be like him. I want to, when I grow up, I want to be able to do that. I want to accomplish that. And they didn't know it. They had no idea. But it was true. It was happening. Maybe there's a young man that's watching you, men. And emulating what you're doing. And he's paying attention to what you say and how you handle yourself. Maybe there's a young uh, girl that's watching you ladies and saying, I want to be like that. I want to be like her. You just don't know, but I promise you this. Somebody's watching you. You have more influence than you think. Are you stewarding that influence for God? 
Are you encouraging people to follow him, to live for him, to take a step towards him? Or are you squandering that influence by just not even thinking about it, not realizing it's there and doing nothing intentional to influence people towards God? Listen, you don't have to be somebody that can just um, present the gospel to somebody well or that you like talking to people. That's why in this, in this series we're talking about living our lives in such a way that people can see Jesus in us. Well, if we're going to, um, if we're going to be an influence, if we're going to make a difference in the world, we've got to embrace the calling that God's placed on our lives. The second thing we do, though, and Moses did this right after he uh, was called out by God, and he recognized that there was a calling on his life, and God was saying, i got a job for you to do. Well, Moses did what a lot of us do right away as he started throwing up excuses. Ah, <laughs> uh, nah, you know. And so the second thing that we've got to do to move towards embracing our mission and stepping out to accomplish what God's given us to do is we've got to stop giving God excuses. It's got to stop. But Moses had to go through the process of making excuses and hearing God's response. And sometimes we do too. I have been there. I know I've been there saying, God, no, but there's this and that. And, uh, and let me tell you, um, God can handle our excuses, but we've got to reach the point where we quit giving them and we quit making them. This morning, let's look at four excuses that Moses gave. And I've tried to put them in an order that we could kind of connect with and put them in some, uh, in some wording that I think we can relate to. The first excuse we want to look at is found in Exodus chapter 4, verse 10. This is what it says. But Moses pleaded with the Lord, Oh Lord, I'm just not a good speaker. I'm clumsy with my words. Um, Moses is using a classic excuse that oftentimes we use. And that excuse was this. I have too many faults. God, I have too many faults for you to use me. I don't know uh, if I could really do what you're calling me to do. I mean, Moses knew if he was going to go before Pharaoh, <clears throat> if he was going before the elders of the nation of Israel, he had to have a commanding presence. He had to be able to speak <clears throat> in such a way that they listened to him. And he's like, I can't talk. <laughs> I can't talk. When I, when I speak, my words get jumbled up and twisted, and this isn't going to work. And I love God's response to Moses. It's awesome. He's like, oh, Moses, you're right. I didn't think of that. So dumb. No, God said, Moses, who made your mouth? Who put the tongue in your mouth? Who designed that to work? You're forgetting who you're talking to here. I'm the God who made you. I designed your body. If I want you to speak to somebody, then there is nothing that's going to stop you from being able to speak to them. If I give you a task and I give you a responsibility, don't use excuse. I have too many faults to do it. I can't do it. It's not going to work. Can I just promise you that God doesn't listen to that excuse? If you think it's working, you're not listening to his response. After he gets done, you know, I don't know if God laughs at us, but I think sometimes he does. I think sometimes he goes, what are you? Look, you can't say I, I can't accomplish it. There's, there's too many issues in my life. Pastor, I've been through some tough stuff. You know, I'm still struggling. I haven't, I haven't got victory in everything yet. All right. I mean, what person in the Bible do you see that did? Have you murdered anybody? I mean, Moses had. I, I don't know. Maybe there's a way God could use you. Maybe your excuse of your faults. You need to give that up. I saw a survey recently, or I've seen it over the years, 
that the number one fear of Americans is public speaking. And so, of course, God called me into a job of public speaking. It's great. I want to promise you that public speaking terrified me when I was younger, and it still scares me a little. I get a little nervous before I do it. Um, you know, it's just part of it. I, the funny thing is, is if I, if I came to some of you afterwards, probably most of you, I said, listen, I'm going to be gone next week. I just got an opportunity to go hunt, uh, you know, moose in Alaska. Can't pass it up once in a lifetime deal. You'd, and I go, I need you to fill in for me next week. You good with that? And that means most of you would say, uh, uh, no, pastor, I'm not okay with that. In fact, I'm less scared of dying than I am of getting up in front of people, right? Fear of death is like number two on the list. It's hilarious. So we're, we're scared to death of it. And, uh, and it terrifies us. Now, <clears throat> I also know that there's some of you, if I said that to you, you'd be like, sure, no problem. I'm ready to go. Let's do it. Can I just say to those of you that have that response, you scare me a little bit. Okay? <laughs> you scare me. Like, I don't understand that. I do realize some people don't have that fear. It's a very small number, but I don't get it. I've had to continue to press, trust God, rely on God. When I didn't think I could do it, when the fear was great, when my nervousness was great, I just had to continue to trust God because I knew he was calling me to do it. I could have said, God, there's no way I'm going to get up in front of people ever. That's terrifying. Do I want to do something that scares me? No, none of us do. We look for comfort and security. And yet God says, I'm going to push you out of your comfort zone. I'm going to call you to do something that scares you a little because what? Because then you're going to rely on me and you're going to know that you can't do it. In your own strength. We need to move past that. I have too many faults. And realize that if God's called us. And he's made us. He can equip us to do it. Excuse number two that Moses gave. That we want to look at today. Is found in Exodus 4 verse 1. And this is the one that Moses gave. During this process of interacting with God. Says this. Moses answered. What if they do not believe me. Or listen to me. And say. The Lord did not appear to you. If Moses goes, look, I'm going to him saying, I saw a fiery, a bush on fire and it didn't burn. They're going to think I was smoking something, drinking something out in the desert, seeing hallucinations. They're not going to believe that this was really you. <clears throat> and so this was Moses, another one of Moses' objections here, his excuses. And this one, I think if we whittle it down, if we kind of try to say, what, what kind of excuse is this that we can relate to? It was this, the what will people think excuse. What are people going to think of me? I mean, if I start living for Jesus at school, what are people going to think of me? I mean, listen, uh, pastor, being a junior high and high school is hard enough, and you're asking me to, like, live on fire for Jesus or at least let people know I'm a Christian or live out my face so that people can see it? You don't understand. What are they going to think of me? How is that going to go? But even as adults, we do that. <laughs> what about my coworkers? What about my reputation? In the community, people are going to start thinking I'm a, that Jesus freak guy or, or girl, you know, and they're going to, that's, that's going to hurt my business or it's going to hurt what I'm doing. I got told at work one time where I worked that I drank too much of the Jesus juice. I'm not sure what that is, but I said, sure, I will have more of that. Thank you. It's good. <laughs> hey, listen, yeah, it's going to affect your reputation, how people view you. Let me ask you this. Would you rather, ha would you rather be liked or respected? Liked is a shallow thing. It doesn't really amount to much. It's not really very valuable. 
Liked can change from today to tomorrow. I could like you. Ah, when I was in sixth grade, there was a girl named I liked her one day, and I didn't like her the next day. Like is fleeting, all right? It's not deep, and it doesn't last. But respect, respect goes down deep. It goes to the core of who you are and how others actually see you. Would you rather be the person that everybody's like, hey, I like to be that person. I want you to like me. Yeah. But listen, more than that, I want you to respect who I am and what I stand for. When people respect you, when they're going through troubles, they come to you for help. They may never let you know. They may give you a hard time all the time. But I promise you, when things get tight, they're going to look for somebody they respect. Don't, don't trade like for respect. Live out who you are. You live for Jesus. You live for God. You, have a, you, you stand for something. You represent something that the world needs. They might give you a hard time about it. You're probably not going to get killed for your faith. Can I just say that? On Martyr Sunday, when we're um, remembering the martyrs around the world. We're not in that kind of situation. The pressure we face is far different. The other thing I want to ask you this, and I've thought about this. Do I, am I more concerned with what people are going to say about me and think about me today? Or what God's going to say about me and think about me when I stand before him? Because God's not going to go, well, <laughs> you're under a little pressure there. I understand. He's going to say, um, you know, <laughs> I had something for you to do. I had a mission for you to accomplish. And I equipped you to do it, and I called you out to do it, and you were afraid what people thought? Look, we, we've got to move beyond that. We've got to move beyond the concern about what people think. And I know as adults, we try to do that. In some ways we do, but in some ways we don't. And sometimes that's what's holding us back from stepping into the calling that God's placed on our lives. Well, there's another excuse that Moses gave in this progression. And we look back in Hebrews 3, or excuse me, Hebrews, Exodus 3, verse 11. Moses said this to God, but, Mo, uh, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is the I'm not spiritual enough excuse. I'm not spiritual enough. God, look, I know that uh, I made a decision to follow you. I go to church. I'm trying to do some stuff, but I'm not spiritual enough to do that mission. I'm not spiritual enough for you to pick me to do that. And while we know that the I might not be liked by others is not a good excuse to give God, we know that, we do think this one sounds more spiritual. And so we give this one a little bit more because it just sounds a little safer and like God might accept it. It sounds humble. It's like, well, God, I'm not spiritual enough. I'm just not there yet. I know your mission is so important. I don't want me to mess it up. And if you pick me, it's not going to get done right. And so God, I know, look, just move on. I, there's somebody else that's, that's, look, I could point out some people that are much more spiritual than I am and you could pick them. I mean, if you need some help, you know, and we try to think that way about God and what he's doing. And, uh, this is the funny thing that God looked at this and he said, uh, Moses, this isn't humility. This is false humility. This is you saying you don't want to take on this mission but it's not the real thing because real humility would accept the mission and move forward because I'm telling you to. But of course, this is false humility and I think it really infuriates God. He recognizes what it is. And what God had to do with Moses is say, Moses, your 
saying you can't do this mission and you're looking at you can't accomplish it because your focus is in the wrong place. Your focus is not on me. Your focus is on you and what you can do and your mistakes and the times you failed and the times that you didn't live up to what you're, uh, you were called to do. And you've come to the place going, I can't do it, God. And you're, you're being stubborn and defiant and you're, you're, you're saying, I'm not going to do this. I don't want to move in this direction, God. And you're resisting me. And the reason is, Moses, because this isn't about you and what you can do. This is about me and what I'm going to accomplish through you. I have gifted you. I have called you. I will equip you. I will be there for you through the, uh, through the process. And I'm going to ensure that you can accomplish it. Get your focus off of yourself. Oftentimes, this is holding us back. All we think about is what we could accomplish. Man, I don't know if I could do that. I'm not good at that. Instead of just saying, God, I'm available. I'm willing to step out. I'm willing to do it. What do you need? And if I see something that needs done, I'm going to jump in and do it. Um, we look, uh, we create these excuses, and we, um, we make ways for us to avoid embracing the mission and moving on. And I'm telling you, God's calling us out. He's calling us as a church. He's calling us as people to step up and step out and move into what God has for us to accomplish today. There's an urgency that we need to feel because the mission of God matters more than anything in the world. And we need to be a part of it. Well, Moses had one more excuse I want to look at today. <clears throat> and, uh, and he's throwing everything at God. This was kind of one of the last ones. I think the last one he threw at God, but It's found in Exodus 4, verse 13. This is what he said. But Moses said, Oh, Lord, please send someone else to do it. Some versions say, Oh, Lord, can you find anyone else to do it? And this is kind of that excuse that says, I'll sit this one out and let someone else do it. And this one got God angry. You can get God angry if you keep pushing. Because he loves you, and he cares about you, and he's called you. And he's not going to let you sit there and do nothing. He's not going to let you sit and soak and not move. And so uh, God, God didn't accept this one either. That Moses just said, God, I just don't want to do it. I just don't want to step out and, and live out the calling. You know, uh, um, this is a phenomenon that happens in, in churches in general, but it certainly can happen in bigger churches, and I would, I would say we're a, a larger church, <clears throat> that it can be easy to hide in a big church. And, and the, while there's great worship and preaching is okay usually, but, but we go, hey, listen, um, you know, I can go there and sit and enjoy the ministry of the church and there's stuff for my kids and everything, but I can just sort of hide out. I don't have to get involved. And sometimes we think, ah, it's a big church, that Mitchell Berean, they don't need me. I'm sure there's somebody else doing it. And we kind of think those kinds of things. Can I encourage you uh, with this? That if you sit on the sidelines and watch this church function, and you don't ever ask, man, do they need something? Can I do something to help? You don't check it out. There, there's something wrong there, okay? I know that you might think these excuses. You might have all kinds of reasons that you're not getting involved and uh, I hope it's not the last one that you just don't want to, like Moses, but it might be. Can I just tell you today that there's a place for you to serve? Mitchell Breen is not a church where only an exclusive group can get involved and serve. We're the kind of church that has a spot for you 
There's a place for you to serve. And I'm going to tell you that we need you to serve. The church needs all of the members of the body to function in a healthy way. You know, the ministries are great here and they're functioning and they're working. There's some that aren't and need to be, need to get going again. But, but there's work to do here and there's opportunity. And I can tell you this, that, that oftentimes churches have this principle where there's 20% of the people doing 80% of the work, right? You've heard of that. It happens almost everywhere. But listen, we're the people of God. And, and I'm just here to tell you today that we're not that kind of church. We want to be a church where everyone can get plugged in and find a place to serve. And if everyone does that, what happens is we have fewer people burn out from getting involved in, in serving the church. You know, that's one of those warnings. Don't get involved in the church. They'll use you up, you know, right? Yeah, because there's not very many people doing it. <laughs> so we need more people doing it. And there's a place for you to get involved here. And I want to encourage you to do that. Don't sit on the sidelines and watch things happen. Don't be content with that. The church does need you, but the other side of it is this. You were designed to serve. You were designed to be a part of what God's doing. When you don't do that, here's what happens. There are blessings and miracles that you don't get to see and experience. You don't get to watch God change someone's life. You don't get to see and experience what God does in your life when you get involved in serving. If you feel like your walk with God is flatlined, it's not moving. You don't feel his presence anymore. Man, I'm not saying it's the answer to everything, but getting involved in what God's doing in the world can make a big difference. There's a guy named Pete that goes to church here, and we have a special needs ministry. We offer um, programming for, for kids with special needs upstairs during the services. And we just sent down a couple families along with some volunteers, Pete being one of them, to a camp at Maranatha Bible Camp um, down by North Platte. And it, is a, it was a camp put on by Johnny and Friends. And Johnny and Friends is run by a woman named Johnny Erickson Tata. And if you've been around the church, I mean, I know I'm getting to that point. I'm the old, I feel like the old guy. But, um, but, but when I was a kid, Johnny Erickson Tata was this amazing Christian artist. She did records and a uh, beautiful voice. And then, um, but the thing is, uh, she was paralyzed as a result of a diving accident when she was a teenager. And so she dove in, uh, I think it was to a lake, and she hit her head, it was just a freak thing, and she was paralyzed from the neck down. And so, but here's this woman who's singing and putting out albums and just beautiful, and then um, she's paralyzed, right? So <clears throat> she's an art artist and she's artistic, and so she doesn't settle for the fact that she can't do anything. She has a mouth that works, and so she learns to draw these beautiful uh, works of art with her mouth, and I mean, I tried with my hands to create beautiful works of art. I didn't get anywhere. I'm like, this is horrible. But here she is with her mouth doing this stuff. It was just remarkable. But Johnny has created a ministry today where she's ministering to uh, families uh, with kids that have kids with special needs. And so they put on a camp for them and they just blessed these families. They put on this camp and they love on them and they provide opportunities for the kids to just be who they are and encourage them. And, and I've heard from the families that went, it was just an amazing time. But, you know, Pete went down and volunteered. And here, here's this older guy. Seems a little gruff when you get to know him. He's not, but he can, he can seem that way. But he has this warm heart for these kids, and he's working with them. And he just telling me last night, he goes, Pastor, it was just amazing. You want to talk about something that moves you to tears, man? Just watch what God's doing with these families. He goes, I didn't want to leave. You know, it came time to leave. I just want to stay there and keep doing it. Listen, we miss blessings in our life in our walk with God when we don't serve, when we don't get involved. We're settling for a level. If you haven't gotten involved and served, you're just settling for a level of your Christian faith that's mediocre. I'm just going to tell you. You know, authentic faith moves to action. 
Authentic faith moves to action. We can't live out of our hurt, our pain, the struggles, the failures, the difficulties of the past, our insecurities, whatever it might be that's holding us back. We can't let that rule our lives. We've got to allow God to heal us and to call us out and to move us into a future of serving him. The last thing that we need to do when we get rid of our excuses, there's one more thing that I think we typically have to go through, and that is we've got to give God what I'm holding. I've got to give God what I'm holding um, or what I'm holding on to. See, the thing is this, when we go through life and we get in a place where Moses was at, he was in the desert, he'd experienced failure, uh, frustration. He, was set, he had settled for a safe and secure life that he enjoyed watching sheep. He had a staff and he was busy in that occupation. When God came to him and called him out, Moses had all kinds of excuses and really all of those centered around this. God, are you really going to be with me? Are you really going to be behind me when I go into this mission? I'm not going into it alone. I don't want to experience that again. I tried it on my own. It doesn't work. Are you really going to be with me? And God said, yeah, I'll be with you. But first, you got to let go of some things. And so when God uh, interacted with Moses along the way, proving to him that he would be there with him, one of the things that God asked Moses uh, to do in Exodus 4 verse 2 he posed this question to him. Then the Lord said to him, what is in your hand? Moses said, a staff, he replied. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. And of course, if you know the story, Moses threw the staff on the ground, it turned into a snake. At which point Moses, like any of us would do, jumped back. So what are you doing with my staff? And God said, listen, I'm going to show you that I'm here and that I'm going to be with you. I'm going to do some things and help you do some things that are going to be evidence to others that I am a part of this. And there were some other things that God showed Moses that he would do for him and in him. Miracles that he would perform. But I think it's kind of interesting to think about it this way. Moses had to trust God and gain the confidence that God was going to be with him. But if you think about that staff for a minute, it kind of represents the safe and secure life that he was living. Not walking in the middle of God's will, not walking in the middle of what God had for him, but saying, I'm going to take this spot. That staff kind of represented it. You know, there was a season in my life where I did some church planting about nine years, and uh, neither of the church plants that I was a part of ended up lasting. And in fact, had to close one of them down, and it was difficult. And I got to a place where I was like, God, you know what? I don't think I'm very good at this pastoring thing. I mean, it's obvious that this isn't working real well. And so why don't I just do something else? And so God allowed me to get into a sales job. And uh, lo and behold, it went really well. I enjoyed it and I was successful at it very quickly. And I thought, man, maybe this is what I'm supposed to do for the rest of my life. Maybe this is, this is fine. You know what? I'm content here. I did my thing. I served you, God. and It's great. It's okay. And, uh, and I thought that's the way things were going to go. But God had a different idea. See, God didn't forget who I was. He didn't forget my name. He didn't forget where I was. He didn't forget my phone number. He called me. His voice sounded like Byron Holdsworth. It was a little weird. But God called me and he said, listen, there's something I got for you to do. And I had a decision to make. Am I going to hold on to the safe, secure thing I'm doing that's working, that I like, makes me feel good? Or am I going to let go and trust God and move into the future he has for me? Can I assure you this morning that I'm glad I didn't hang on to it? And I want to encourage you not to hang on to it. Let it go. God wants to use you. He can use that staff in your hand. 
whatever it is. He can use that to do miracles and to help change the lives of others. There's nothing more gratifying and amazing in the world than to be a part of what God's doing. God has called you. He's chosen you. He's equipped you. He's gifted you. He made you. And there's a task, there's a mission, there's a calling on your life. I pray that you wouldn't allow anything to get in the way of you doing it. God, thank you so much for calling us, for equipping us and choosing us. It's a mystery to us, God, how you want to use us to change the world. But you do. I pray for each person here, God, that they wouldn't allow any excuse. They wouldn't allow anything to stand in the way of allowing them to step up and take a small step of obedience to trust you, to listen to your voice, and to respond to your calling. God, thank you for all you're doing here in this church and, um, and in this community. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.